Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. In the power of his might. He's strong in the Lord. We've had, we're thankful for Brother Nick and his preaching the last two weeks and the strong clarity that we've heard from him on the gospel and the centrality of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ to save. But that message goes on, doesn't it? After one has become a believer, there is a sufficiency in Christ that we have as believers as we carry out our mission. And the mission of the church, of course, is to make disciples. Uh, The mission of the church is to use, to love one another, and to use its skills together as God has knit us together. Each one has a different skill. Uh, Someone, the the illustration of body parts, right? Some might be the hand, the foot, the eye, the ear. It, It doesn't matter. What's important is that we work together And we love one another like real family. We were talking about that uh, this morning. And we were talking about how annoying family can be. And yet we still love them. We don't hold grudges that then last for decades. We don't say, well, I'm going to move out to the shed. I mean, we we, we fix it, right? We make it right. How do we do that? Well, it's imperfect in my family. I can can assure you. But, But we do work it out. And... You know, that's what God wants us, wants in the church. How do we work together to love one another as we grow in grace and as we live out our faith and as we become more and more like Jesus Christ facing his, his second coming or potentially our death? Well, we've got to do it together and we've got to do it with an understanding that Christ has equipped us with everything that we need already. Let that sink up. You have, as a believer, everything you need to live a victorious life now, right now. There's no catharsis you must reach. There's no uh, shining light that's going to greet you on the path in order for you to be able to do that. Now, what a lot of, where a lot of messages go astray uh, is that sometimes people lead folks to believe that means they're going to reach a state of sinlessness. We know that's not true. People who know me know I'm not sinless. As a matter of fact, well, we won't go down that path. But that's probably true of all of us in this room if we're believers, right? We recognize the fact that although we're redeemed, our soul is secure in Christ. We're not, we don't need a doubt about that. Christ paid it all. All to him we owe. And this is the whole point of sanctification, is that because we have such a great God and Savior in Jesus Christ, because he's given us the Holy Spirit, because he's given us the living word of God, we have what we need, motivation-wise, instruction-wise, power-wise. We have everything that we need to live for him and to tell others about Jesus Christ, to make disciples and to live in a way so that others can see that the power of God in us is real. It's not just another religion. It's something different about this. So the Apostle Paul is getting to the end of his exhortation in his letter to the Ephesians. It's an open city. It's founded as a Greek city. And it was quite large. It had what was considered one of the wonders of the world there, the temple of Diana or Artemis. 
And so there were people that were constantly going there. There was a crowd of people that earned their living making idols, making replicas of the temple that was there. This was a thoroughly pagan city. As a matter of fact, a quite a dangerous one, apparently, to be openly preaching the gospel. But nevertheless, Paul and the missionary team went there, and they stayed many months. And so he's writing a letter back to the Ephesians to encourage them in their faith. He's reminding them what they went through. He's commending them for their faith, for their faithfulness in a difficult situation. And then he's dealing with some issues within the church there and within uh, Christian behavior. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he says, finally. So he's wrapping it up. And I heard an old pastor joke one time. They said that, how do you know if someone's an optimist? Well, they close their Bible when the pastor says, now finally. But in this case, in this case, it really is finally. He's wrapping up the, the letter, isn't he? But what he's doing is he's giving them, he's centering all the things that he said previously, and he's, he's wrapping this up in what he wants them to do. And he's saying, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The power of his might. If all Christianity was was just a mere set of beliefs, it's no different than any other religious statement to adhere to your religion, right? The difference with Christianity is the promised Holy Spirit has been given. And the Holy Spirit of God lives within the heart of every believer. And that makes it different. Because it's not dependent upon our, our willpower, human willpower or our intellect. It's based on our faithfulness to see Christ and know Christ is everything that we need to live a godly life. So the admonition today is the same one that Paul is giving. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. So let's read that, chapter 6. Let's read verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the power and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you could extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God is good to us. Our Lord is sufficient 
And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way in my own life. The battle that we're in is our daily struggle against sin. It's our daily struggle to obey the Lord, to obey what we read and see in the Word of God, to live among sinners and yet not sin, to live among sinners and yet love one another with our whole hearts. It's a struggle. And to add to that, as Paul brings out, that's not even real the, the real enemy. That's the one that we can see, right? You've heard people say, you know, I'm mad, and I'm, I, I'm mad, but I, I need to be mad at someone with flesh and bones, right? So somebody picks out a target, and it's like, okay, it may not be your fault, but we're picking you. And sometimes that happens at work or in families where it's like, whoa, what did I do? Well, they just needed somebody with skin off to get to, to, to vent, right? So we're, we have this struggle. We know as Christians that the real enemy is the devil, but we can't see the devil. We see the people that we work with, the people we live with. We see our neighbors, the people we go to church with. We see our family members, right? We can see them. We can't see the devil. And what the apostle is trying to point out is something very, very important. And that is that this is a spiritual battle. And in that this is a spiritual battle, we have been equipped with the spiritual tools we need to win that fight. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Guys, if you would put that verse up there. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish Whoop, that's going into verse 6, so we'll stop there. The second one I wanted to do is, is just a, a couple of pages over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul's speaking of his revelations that he had directly with the Lord, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, weak, then I am strong. So the question is that you have to ask yourself every day, and I have to ask myself every day, is do I really believe that? It's one of the first things in our Christianity that's going to aid us in our struggle in our Christian life. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has given us everything we need to win this struggle? And do we really believe that the enemy is spiritual? And that because of that, our weapons can't be carnal. They can't be the flesh. Right? Some people have been cursed with a quick wit. Um... 
my mother told me that it is a blessing and a curse, and I found that to be true. Uh, you know that time when you're supposed to be serious, and someone's kind of letting you have it, and you think of this great thought, and you think, this is going to just, okay, that, it's that, right? We think, okay, well, that person's so much more clever than I am. They're so, they have such a better vocabulary. They're like a Winston Churchill. They're going to argue me down, and I'm going to lose. But that's not really where our, where our battle is. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And so, yes, it's wonderful to have all these, these gifts that God gives to men. It's great to have the ability to speak, or it's great to have the ability to be funny, uh, or to, to have a, a skill uh, so that you can, uh, you can create. All these things are blessings from God. But it's, it doesn't really help us in fighting the real battle. The real battle is won in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of his word and through submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit in our daily walk. That's where it's won. So it's okay. Guess what? It's okay if somebody beats me in a verbal argument. Now, my wife is probably going to, she's taping that right now and is going to be replaying that in the future. We don't like to lose, do we? We will invent ways to win, even if they're not real. Even if they're totally fantasy land, we will make them up because we can't imagine the horror of ever losing an argument or ever losing a position. But sometimes, isn't that exactly what Paul is saying to us here in, from 2 Corinthians when he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong? Because all these things come on me. I asked God to remove this, this messenger of Satan, and God said no. Now, you may be sitting there today saying, I have a messenger buffeting me, and I'm angry at God because he won't remove it from me. It would be easy for him to remove it from me. Why doesn't he do it? We get angry about that kind of stuff, right? We can get frustrated because we see that in the life of a loved one. They're struggling. And we think, why God can remove this? Why doesn't he just do it? It's intentional. Stop and think about that a minute. If God wants us to operate out of a position of human weakness so that we can depend more on him, and that is his intention for your life and my life, why are we fighting against this? Well, I'll tell you why. If you were to, what I just said, if we were to make a, a Facebook group site, and that is post all of your weaknesses in pictures and videos of you being weak and others abusing you and winning out over you, how many hits do you think we'd get? Probably not many, right? Because that's not what the world system wants. That's not what the devil and his evil hordes, that's not the world system that they're influencing it to be. They want us to believe, just like the, he wanted to get Eve to believe. If you disobey God, you're going to be like a God. And that's exactly what the world wants us to think. You're going to let that gal or that guy say that to you, do that to you. i got to tell you, my temptation is really to get even. It is. I've just got to be straight up with you. When someone does me wrong, I just my first thought is not, well, the Lord... The Lord will deal with that in his day. That's not my first thought. Should be, though, shouldn't it? My first thought is, what would they miss the most? 
we start having these evil thoughts, don't we? These thoughts of revenge. These thoughts of, I will make sure everyone knows they're weak. Why do we feel so compelled to do that? Because we have an enemy that is activating in our heads, in the spiritual realm, trying to get us to react this way. Inside our homes, with our spouses, our children, with our friend groups, people we work with. And it's not just one time, it's all day long, every day. I gotta tell you, I just don't have the strength for that. Do you? What happens is, I end up, I'm, I'm good for a while, at least my perspective of good, but then I fail. And a lot of times I can fail spectacularly. It's almost like I've been saving up all this bad behavior so I can unleash it all at once. That's why God says, that's why the exhortation is this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You have a spiritual enemy and they're attacking you in the spiritual realm. It's not an arm wrestling match. It's not an intellectual quiz show that you have to outwit somebody. That's not what this battle is. This battle against sin, the battle to love one another, the battle to be like Christ is in the spiritual realm. And if we don't face it there with those tools, we will fail. The first thing that Paul brings up is, he says, our struggle is not against humans, but against the evil schemes of the devil. Let's look at John chapter 18 real quick. Guys, if you have that verse, if you put that up, we're going to move kind of quick because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. We're going to look at verse 36 and 37. Jesus is standing before the most powerful man in Palestine. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate is trying to tell him, do you not understand I have the power to kill you if I want to? This is Jesus' response. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And of course we know Pilate doesn't. Because Pilate looks at him and says, but what's truth? And we find out later in another passage in the Bible that Pilate, his very purpose for being created and put into position of power was to be an object of God's wrath on the day of judgment. Scary, isn't it? We serve the God who created all of this. Politicians and their sense of power or their sense of mastery over others are specks, they're flecks of dust in the created universe the almighty God has made for himself and for his glory. And he has given us salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. Everything that happened came about so that that death would take place so that he would resurrect from the grave three days later. And he would achieve exactly what he intended to achieve. And the devil could not prevent it. Nevertheless, we still 
come in contact with the evil one who knows he has a little time, just a little time left. We won't turn there, but make a note to look at Acts 14.22. The scriptures teach us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Let that sink in, guys. No one's got the perfect life. These, the, the things we see on social media, it's just one big, long, continuous Christmas letter. I know that's dating myself, but that, that's all it is. It's one big, long thing, like my life is wonderful, my kids are perfect, and everything is always going to be okay. That's just not the truth. The truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ says to his believers, you will enter into the kingdom through many tribulations. Is that a deal? It doesn't sound like a very good deal if all you're doing is looking at it through the eyes of this evil world. They're thinking, what? Not guaranteed to be rich? I'm not guaranteed to lord it over people? I'm not guaranteed to be perfect so that I can be proud of myself? That I'll be healthy, wealthy, wise and never have any disease so that I won't ever feel weak? Why wouldn't he make it that way? Because we're not to be the ones that are the center of the glory. It is Christ. We're to live a Christiocentric life. That means Jesus is the center. It is him that needs to be exalted. Paul says, hey, if, if by me being weak and me being contemptible, Jesus Christ is glorified in his power, bring it on. Do you think that way? Do I think that way? When we initially hit a tribulation or a trial or a scheme of the devil who's trying to get us to sin? I don't, but how can we, right? Because, see, that's the thought of a real believer. The real thoughts of real believers are not sinless. The thoughts of real believers are, I want to please my Lord. I'm not going to put a lot of detail to that. Because we're all at different stages of our life spiritually. It's pointless to do that. People give you long, laundry list of things that prove you're a good Christian. It, it's, it's not helpful. We're all in different stages of this. And we accelerate or decelerate for reasons known only to God. But if he saved you and you have the spirit of God abiding in you. And you love Christ and you love your brothers from the heart. And you see a gradual change in your life. Doesn't matter how fast or slow. Your value system is aligned with Christ. Then we can claim what God's word says. That we have been born again. We have repented of our sins. We have put our faith in Christ. We're depending on him. Not our intellect. Not our wit. Not our money. Not our connections. We're depending on him to save us at the end of the day. So let's look at this because the sufficiency of Christ gives us the victory. It's the only thing. There's nothing left. If you reject that as the thing that is going to bless you and enable you to overcome the schemes of the devil, you've rejected all there is. There is nothing else. Well, Brother George, what about science? Oh, good for science. 
I'm glad there's science. I, I, I take medication sometimes when I need it. I'm glad we have science. I'm glad we have advances in science. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the physical ailment of this body. We're talking about the ailments of our soul. We're talking about the attacks of a supernatural being upon our soul every day in trying to convict us that Christ is not what he is. Jesus is good for some things, but this is not one of them. Just set him over here on the side here because I got a better deal for you. There is no better deal. There are the lies and darts of the devil. And there are certain ways that God has given us, equipped us already to overcome those. Let's start with the first one. The first one is the belt of truth in verse 14. And you might think, well, is that talking about the Bible? Well, not in this particular armament. So he's kind of going over the armaments that are on a Roman soldier. So just imagine a Roman soldier, and these people would be familiar with how the, the, you know, the Roman era is the era they're living in. They'd be familiar with a Roman soldier. The belt of truth is a belt that was used to kind of gird up and hold everything tight on a soldier. So he could march for long periods of time and everything stay where it's supposed to stay. It is a firm belief in the truth. Now, that's contrary to what we have in our, our, uh, the era in which we live. The era in which we live says, well, you have a truth. That's your truth. This is my truth. That is not the truth. That is subjectivity. It's the opposite of the truth. And that's a dart of the devil, isn't it? He's singing that dart out there and saying there is no objectivity. No one can really know the truth. Isn't that exactly what Pilate said? What is truth? No, there is truth. There is truth. And I won't go down some what are political hot button rabbit trails today because it's, it's pointless. The point is there is truth. There's scientific truth that's inalterable. It is the way God made us. We're made this way. It's a fact. Uh, there's truth, revealed truth in the scriptures. It's truth. We know it's truth. We believe that it is. That's one of the things that we must first claim and not waver on. What does the Bible say about someone who's double-minded? Their heart is a rock of Gibraltar. Nope, that's not what it says. What does it say? They're unstable in all their ways. You have to be a person of the truth. So I challenge you today, are you wearing that armament today? Do you have on the belt of truth? Are you a person of the truth? Are you willing to look at somebody with love and tenderness and meekness and say, no, you're wrong. Because God says this. We have to stand for the truth. If we don't stand for the truth, we stand for literally nothing. Because whatever is not the truth is, it's vapor. The belt of truth, it comes first because everything else is based on that. How do I know I'm saved? God's word tells me I am saved because of what's written here. It is the truth. I believe it firmly. I believe that the world in which I live, there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right. There are things that are truthful and there are things that are lies. Which brings about another thing. Are you a person of the truth in the way that you speak? Or do you find yourself struggling with lies? It's a big dart of the devil. Because guess what? 
If he can get you lying on a regular, habitual basis, are you really going to feel in your soul that you're born again if you know in your heart you're a liar? And the Bible says no liar will enter into the kingdom of God. These are all startling truths. What does that mean? I have to never lie again or I will go to hell? No, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is I'm talking about the deception of the devil. This this area where we're born again for sure through the power of God, through the sufficiency of Christ, yet we still sin. This is a weak point. It's something that is missing, but it's intentionally missing. God wants us to go through this struggle. Many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of God. But he wants us to wear the belt of truth. I want to encourage you to be a person of the truth. Even if it costs you, because it will. Just be kind about it. We don't have to be mean if we're going to tell the truth. We don't have to be mean at the same time, do we? Be kind. Be truthful. Be a person of the truth. Be resolute in your mind about what you believe. You say, well, I'm not really sure. Start studying them. There's some great books, and we'll be glad to tell you about some great books to read. Also, the next thing we see is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness would, would the breastplate would cover from kind of the neck area down to the loin area on a soldier. And this is not our righteousness, right? So this might be where someone would say, see if you if your good outweighs your bad, then that's going to protect you. That's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. We're putting on Christ. What does the Bible say? Put off our old self. Put on Christ. Right? Put on Christ. This is where the power is. This is where the confidence is in the righteousness of Christ. You say, but that seems like it's not connected to fighting against sin. Oh, it is. Because the devil wants to throw that dart at you, you're never going to get this right. And you can with power say, I am in Christ. He promised that he will sanctify me wholly. He promised. I believe the word of God. I believe Christ. I am wearing the righteousness of Christ. Get thee hence. Great verse for that is Philippians 3, 8, 9. Another one we see is the shoes of cheerful readiness. You say, how do you get that? That's in verse 15. It says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What does the world say your most important thing to do is? I think everyone in here will make it easy to figure out. It's really two main things. Get a lot of money and get a lot of power. If you get those two things, you can pretty much... You can pretty much make it. Money and power. That's what I need. Money and power. Money and power. It's the opposite of what God says we need. He says, no, weakness is good. Vulnerability is good. I intend that for your life. Remember how I said, good deal? (laughs) It's the complete opposite of what the world thinks, right? That is, they're not pursuing obedience to Christ in light of the gospel. The gospel they've experienced and in light of the fact that God's called us to what? Go and do what with the gospel? Make disciples. Have you put on your, your shoes of cheerful readiness? 
Not something that we begrudgingly do, something that we have joy in doing. You ever share the gospel with somebody who said, yeah, I encourage you to give up all this fun because it's miserable being a Christian. You're going to love it. Not very convincing, is it? No, because that's why the Christian life has got to be centered on Christ. It's got to be centered on our salvation. It's got to be centered on the gospel because that's what truly is wonderful about this. In life, we have tribulation. But what is our brother Gary enjoying right now? The very presence of the living God. He's completely sinless. All his ailments are gone. This, the gospel, is this thing that gives us joy in the midst of problems. Are you ready to tell people about Jesus Christ? Are you ready to tell them about your faith? If you were to talk to the people that you know, would they know that you take joy in Jesus Christ? Would they know that about you? So you're trying to make me feel guilty? No, I'm not. I'm trying to redirect your thinking. Redirect it. Put on the shoes of a joyful readiness to share the gospel. It is what God's commanded us to do. Go you know the world and make disciples, right? If that is our primary mission, we must do it. If we do it, we have to think about it, read about it, practice it by telling people about it. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this is the armor I've given you to defeat the supernatural enemy you face every day. Do you believe that? Do you believe these armaments are, are really and truly going to help you be victorious? God's word said it. The next thing I wanted to point out was the shield of faith. And we see that and it says here, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Another version brings that up as above all. It was above all else. Put on the shield of faith. I guess I like both of them, but I like above all else better. Now, the Roman shield was about four feet. And it was about two, about two, three, it's about two feet wide, about four feet. So it looked like a rectangle. It was curved, and it was made of wood. And it was covered in animal skin. And at the top, it had a steel band, actually around the rim. It had steel band, bottom and around the top. And they fought as a unit. The shield was meant to fight along with the shields of your compadres. And you could form an impenetrable pod with those shields. And so when the archers drew their, their arrows and they fired, or when they threw their lances or the different armaments they had. I'm not a, an armament specialist. I know there's a historian in here that's going, he's not telling the truth about that. So just have, have some sympathy on me if I'm missing, if I'm getting dates mixed up as to when, what, what, what armaments are brought into play. But we do know this, arrows are in play because David, David had to contend with arrows. So, but my point is, is that the arrows that were shot, suppose they were dipped in some type of flammable liquid and shot at you. Well, if it hits your body, not only is it going to injure you, but you're also going to catch on fire. That's a bad experience. So if you had this Roman shield, you could literally block all the fiery darts. Nothing could get through. As a matter of fact, they say, historians say this, we don't have any alive Roman soldiers to tell us this, but that they would dip their shields with the animal skin in water, and that when the arrows hit the shield, the water would help extinguish the fiery darts. 
And that's what God's called us to live by. He's called us to live by faith. Not by sight, but to live by faith. I encourage you to nurture your faith. You nurture your faith by being here. By reading your Bible every day. By praying. By loving one another. By praying. There's a lot of things that the Bible teaches us faith will do for us. God's saying above all else, trust me. When you get in that situation where you're, you know for certain you've been abandoned by the Lord, you haven't. Do you remember Jesus' words on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He forsook Christ in that moment on the cross so we would never be forsaken. He took all of that sin debt upon himself. I deserve to be abandoned by God, but I will never be abandoned by God. He promises me this. I claim it as the truth that I live in every day, and I believe it. He's going to put me through tribulation. He may be putting you through tribulation right now. It's for your good. It's for your good. It's for our good to have tribulation. Hard to accept that. I know. That's where faith comes in. It's not something we can see, taste, or feel. It is something we must believe. You must believe that this is true. This gets into the whole, people shouldn't be, shouldn't be wondering about their salvation based on did you sin this sin today or that sin yesterday? They should be more concerned about something more elementary. Faith. Do you have faith? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I encourage you, above all else, pick up your shield the shield of faith. I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 10, 36 through 39. The helmet of salvation is in verse 17, and it is our hope. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to have our hope intact. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And that's what, that's what Romans chapter 8, verse 31 goes into. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. Tribulation can't. Hardship. All these things that we go through in the human experience, none of these things will separate us from the love that God has for his people. And then take up the sword of the Spirit. Our only offensive weapon, as is said. You must be in the Word of God every day. And you should be in it multiple times a day. You go... You know, we live really busy lives. How many times do you pick your phone up? How many times do I pick my phone up? It's a ridiculous amount, right? The busy life thing just doesn't hold water. We need to be in the Word of God when we wake up. We need to be in the Word of God before we go to bed. Our life needs to be bookended by the Word of God. And if we have opportunities to memorize, memorize as much Scripture as you can. And let your brain call that up in defense as one of your armaments 
1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16 is a great passage on how the word of God illuminates and convicts us of sin. These are things God has already given us. He's already given it to us. And if we take these things and we use them and we stand in Christ and we stand in the power of his might, using this armament that he's giving us, we will be able to live victorious lives. Notice I didn't say perfect lives. I said a victorious life. What is a victorious life? It's one where we know we belong to Jesus. He belongs to me. I am in him. He is in me. I know these things. I'm confident of these things because I can see the spiritual work that he's doing in me. And then the final thing we're called to do is pray at all times in the spirit. God wants us to pray at all times. When you feel like you're at the end, you're just hanging on by a thread in a day. Commit to prayer. Commit to prayer. Excuse yourself from the conference room. Go get a cup of coffee, a cup of water. While you're walking, pour your heart out to the God, the living God who hears your every word. He knows you by name. He knows you exist. And he will hear and he will answer and he will give strength. And then the sermon ends with the way it started off. Stand firm. Persevere in your faith. Don't give up. You have, you are a sinner. I am a sinner that has been saved by the creator of the universe. Never to be retracted. Sins forgiven. Cast as far as the east is from the west. In the deepest part of the sea. And he has constructed a life for us that has tribulation and difficulty because this is how we're going to enter It's how he chooses us to enter the kingdom of God. Gary did not have an easy passage from this life. He struggled and suffered. But I'll tell you, I would see Gary walking down the aisle, plugged in to do his sat duty, his complexion looking very gray, not looking well. But where was he? Well, he could have been at home feeling sorry for himself. And I'm I'm not saying this to be offensive. I want you to pay attention to faithful saints. He got up, he remembered he was a child of God, he remembered, I worship with my people on Sunday. He got up and went to church. And he probably felt terrible. But he did it anyway. Gary and men and women like that are my heroes. You're in here today and you might be here and it was a difficult time for you to be here. You're my hero. This is what it means to be a Christian. We plow through these difficulties. We enter the kingdom of God fighting. That's what God's called us to do. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you've given us new life in Jesus Christ. It is a certainty our sins have been forgiven. Lord, help us as we go through this life and as we struggle. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be downcast. Help us to know that difficulty comes from your hand and that you have given us tools to overcome these difficulties. Lord, may Christ be the central thing in our life. 
May we see the power of Christ as the tool to help us to overcome the spiritual enemies that we have that attack us and that want to lead us astray out of the path. Lord, we ask that you would help us to not only to pick up the shield of faith, not only to be in your word in prayer, but help us to pray for one another. As Paul requested the Ephesians, pray for me. Lord, I pray that we would pray for our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ and that we, in fact, would pray for them. And as we interlock our shields in this battle, that we would stand together as a unit, as a church that goes forth with the gospel. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.